You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 739 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. Well, from riders to judges to organizers, everyone has big dreams in our sport. Today, we'll hear from Kelly Irving Burris, the Dressage Foundation's chaperone for the Young Rider Dream Program, just back from Wellington yesterday with this year's Dream Team. After that, you might think we forgot which discipline we're focused on here, but trust, we're introducing you to Robin Fisher, a recently minted FEI four-star eventing judge who also happens to be a Grand Prix dressage rider. And the frosting on the cake is this week's power couple, America's most decorated black female show organizer, Andrea Davenport Emil, and her PhD show office husband, Dr. Matt Emil. Reese Koppler Stanfield from Wellington, Florida. And this is Noah Ratner from Sherwood, Oregon. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hey, Reese, how's it going? Hi, Noah. Great. How are you tonight? Oh, my gosh. We are going back into cold and wet mode over here, and I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> it was a little cold in Wellington today. Everybody is No. So today was a was a great day in Wellington. Today uh, was really fun. You know, and, and I keep promoting this because it's true. I don't know other than Europe, a place where you can go and get so much free education. So today was the master class by Isabel Vert at Helga Strand Dressage. They Ooh. did an open house. Yeah. And, Ooh la la. And, it was so cool. I mean, again, to be able to go somewhere and literally watch the best rider, arguably, in the world, the GOAT, Isabel Vert. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> and it was like at 11 o'clock on a Monday. So literally, we're like sitting in. And I got there because it is usually very busy. There was like a thousand people that went. And I'm sitting there at like 1045 and my husband calls. And he's like, are you in a bar? <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Might no, as well no, no, I'm, 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 I'm sitting in a dressage ring. He's like, that sounds fun. <laughs> so I think he's not heard that, but it did. I mean, it had fun music playing and uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, it was really, really, it's just amazing to sit down and watch horses of that caliber and just be in her presence. And she talked about her system and it was phenomenal. So uh, that was a really cool day. And then I got to spend the rest of the day sort of playing with my horses and uh, it was really cool. So you had, a way, sure. you had a way more exciting and way more fun Monday than I did. <laughs> I, I did. Everybody in uh, Wellington, like it was a big Monday party in the middle of the day. It was amazing. <laughs> Uh, I missed the invite on that. I don't know what happened. It's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the mail. Yeah, no, it was great. Well, so another another big week in Wellington, and you're heading back here, right? I am excited. Yes, I, uh, I've i got one more week at home, um, and it is uh, packed with a meeting with organizers and getting everything ready for my farm. Uh, we're in show mode galore, and uh, it's just going to be nonstop events all year long. And uh, I get a really small window of time right at the beginning of the year um, that I get to do all my planning and all my license, all the show licenses and contracts and insurance and uh, wow. meeting with the organizers that are running shows at my farm. And um, it's a lot to do in a really short amount of time. 
time and you work so hard in this little window because uh, once the first show starts, it's just a marathon. And I'm like, all right, we'll see everybody else in December. <laughs> and uh, and it just doesn't stop. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a wild journey, but uh, it, the, the, the race is on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's been so fun. No, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know show organizers, but to really hear what show organizers do, you, we don't think about it. We're thinking about training and trainer tips and and just all that. It's just a different aspect of the industry. And it's so cool. And we're going to hear that tonight uh, with Andrea and Dr. Matt. They were fantastic. And just hearing about what they do and how they do it. And it's pretty phenomenal. And hearing about your shows and, and organizing, it's a, it's a different community that I'm used to. And it's so cool to hear about it. So um, I, I yeah, think that doesn't the- sound fun. The flip side of the coin outside the arena, and I mean, like you, you guys are on your horses, and you guys are living the dream, and I think that that's that's amazing. We're here to support you, but on the other side of the coin, uh, we're making it happen behind the scenes. There's magic, and uh, and it's yes. a lot of fun bringing all the different pieces together. You know, from really small shows that are the intimate um, places where a lot of people get their start at shows, um, going all the way like to the big time, to you know, hosting World Cup qualifiers and uh, and being involved. In, in these events that are the stepping stones that get people to the Olympic Games. Like, it's cool. Like, we've got a fun job. It's so well, cool. You have such a, such a great job. So we have a phenomenal show. We're going to have a quick uh, commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products and get right into it. Let's do it. This Nutritional Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. More and more horse owners are managing older horses. One of the best ways to care for the senior horse in your life is by prioritizing their digestive tract health. Older horses are less able to maintain a well-balanced microbiome and repair and replace damaged tissues. This can lead to an uptick in ulcers, colic, or free fecal water syndrome. Poor gastrointestinal health decreases the horse's ability to digest and absorb adequate nutrients. It also impacts the effectiveness of the immune system, leaving older horses less able to fight off diseases such as EPM. Adding a research-proven digestive supplement to your older horse's diet can help maintain a healthy GI tract and reduce the incidence of digestive issues. We recommend ProbioticWise to our customers with senior and geriatric horses. ProbioticWise contains the true probiotic Saccharomyces boulardii. Unlike other yeast-based probiotics, S. boulardii remains viable through the acid environment in the stomach. It supports the healing of damaged tissues, reduced inflammation, and the optimal digestion and absorption of nutrients. Furthermore, ProbioticWise contains fermentation metabolites that support a well-balanced microbiome. ProbioticWise is sold through your veterinarian, so ask your vet if ProbioticWise is right for your older horse. You can learn more about ProbioticWise at kppvet.com. Got questions about your feeding program? We can help. Email Karen at questions at kppusa.com or call us at 859-873-2974. Well, my friends, it is my extreme pleasure to welcome to the Dressage Radio Show a very good friend and an amazing youth development advisor, coach, friend, chaperone, extraordinaire, so many, so many things. Please join me in welcoming to the show Kelly Irving Burris from Gig Harbor, Washington. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi, Kelly. 
We are so excited to have you on the show because you just came back from a very exciting trip to Wellington as the chaperone for this year's the Dressage Foundation's Young Rider Dream Program. How was it? It was one of the most amazing weeks of my life. First of all, I had five girls. Most of them were from East Coast. We had one West Coast. Her name was Kylia. Um, and then we had Chloe from South Carolina. We had Bella from New York, and we had Caroline from New Hampshire, and we had Katie from Pennsylvania, and they were such amazing young women, and I had so much fun with them this week. That is so awesome uh, that you got you got to go back because you've been a participant in this program before, right? Yes, I went in 2004. We went to Aachen. It was when it was back in Europe. We um, went to Aachen and we went to Klaus Balken Halls. It was a it was a Olympic year, so we got to stay and watch our entire Olympic team train. And then we went to Ingrid Klimka's, and um, I got to hold Reiner Klimka's 1980 Olympic <laughs> gold medal. Probably the most amazing moment in my life. Um, unreal. And yes. it was unreal. It was it was amazing. And then we went to the European Young Rider Championships. That was in Denmark that year. And then we went back and we went to the Hanoverian auction um, and so many other things in between. So it was it was an amazing time. And I'm so grateful that I get to give back to the Dressage Foundation for this great trip because um, it really was a pivot in my life going on that trip. Yeah. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about the week. Spoiler alert. I got to be the day chaperone with you on Thursday, but you guys did stuff before. So we'll talk about our day because we had quite, quite a fun day. And I will second, these were an amazing group of women. This was such a fun trip. I had such a great day on Thursday and I slept really well. Uh, I'm not going to lie. That <laughs> That's <laughs> a nice bonus. A long day, yeah, for sure. <laughs> It was a long day and we kept him really busy, but start telling us a little bit about, um, cause right now this trip, um, it has not gone back overseas. Um, I, I, um, spoiler alert was also the chaperone, uh, in 2019, which was the last group to go to Germany. So this trip took a break and then, um, they reorg so that the, the, all the participants could come to Wellington. So that's kind of the history of why it's now in Wellington. I think at some point it will go back to Germany, but right now it's here. So tell us a little bit about how the week started. So the first day we woke up quite early and we did a bit fitting demonstration with Stephanie Brown Beamer at High Meadow Farm, um, owned by Mr. and Mrs. McPhail. She had a table filled with bits and a horse head skull, and she explained the different styles of bits and how technology and bits have has changed so much in the last ten years, and um, that you know she emphasized getting to know your horse's mouth and making sure that you're putting the right size bit in a horse's mouth because the bits we normally ride she said 70% of the horses she sees come into the into her bit fittings have too large of a bit especially the curb so she just was so in depth in you know the mechanics of what the bit does for being able to ride the horses so it was really enlightening to me. I've been to a couple of bit fitting seminars, but I felt like she had a very um, streamlined approach that was easy to follow. So that was really a wonderful experience there. And then 
Olivia Legoy Welts is based out of there. She has some of her horses there. So she um, did a demonstration on a lunge line and doing some groundwork with one of her horses that had had an injury. And Olivia is somebody that I had never had a chance to watch work. And I was so impressed. She really emphasized like using lunging as a way to study your horse's body. So she had a horse on a halter on a lunge line and like talking about, you know, being even left to right, being, making sure that the horse has time to just use their natural gates on the lunge line. She wants to like, make sure that she sees how the canter, no side reins, no saddle is per horse to see like, are they easy? Is it easier for them on the left or the right? And also to gauge the horse's soundness. So that was really fun and interesting. And, and I thought it was great to see basics. And she talks about a lot about like the horse moving their body on the ground before you get on them and how that translates to riding. So she's very much into um, groundwork with all of her horses. And we watched three of her horses work that morning and every horse, it was the same, like calm, slow, systematic approach. She was really great. And then we went to the, another barn that's right next to where she is and watched one of her young horses go that was fresh from Germany. And um, same thing. She just was really calm. And she said that she's a busy mare and needs her mind kind of focused. So she did lots of like 10 meter circles and changes of directions and very shallow leg yields and, you know, transitions and a little shoulder four into a baby haunches in back into a little shoulder four and just really working on like suppling the mare and also keeping her brain engaged. She was really great that way. In talking to Olivia, I think this was one of the best things for our trip was she was talking about building relationships and building bridges and not breaking them down. And you were there, Reese, on day two, but it was a theme for every single person at the top. It was like, build relationships with people, make sure that you have connections. And to me, that was our theme of the week. You know, we saw so many great training, so much great training and stuff, but that right there was the, was the theme of the trip. So I think it was drilled into the kid's head about that. And back to the horsemanship, you know, with Olivia, she says that she only works her young her young horses under four. She only works them three days a week. And then uh, the older horses, she'll work maximum five days a week. Some of them that are a little bit busier because they're in Florida and they don't have a turnout, she does take them out and, you know, puts them on a lunge with a halter or something sometimes on day six. But she tries really hard not to train more than five days a week. And again, that was a theme. Less is more. And I felt like that was very refreshing to me. And I think some of the girls were a little surprised by like, you know, you don't have to work the horses so hard to like get where you need to go. You have to, you have to give them time and let them have walk breaks and their body heal to to heal and stuff. So Olivia was really wonderful. I told the girls at the beginning of the trip that I felt like they should ask a question that's cohesive to everybody. So I told them to say, you know, if you could go back in time and give your 20 year old self advice, what would it be? Um, And it was interesting that, you know, like Olivia said, when she, if she would give herself um, her 20 year old self advice that she would say to be patient because Mm -hmm. you want to get there really fast and that it takes time. And that was something. Yeah. Yeah. That she wanted that, that patience was one of those things that she really felt like, 
she lacked. And as she's gotten older, she's, it's been vital to her. So after Olivia, um, we went to Scott and Sarah Hassler's um, at Poinciana Farm owned by Jane Cleveland. Scott was prepared for us. I mean, he, <laughs> we walked through that door and he had a handout of the qualities in a young dressage horse and the qualities of a dressage horse. And what was great was it was really well placed coming from Olivia. We had just watched horses on a lunge line talking about young horses. And then we had watched her work with a young horse and then going to Scott who Sarah Roy rode Boitano. Um, so he's, you know, a horse that's schooling all of the Grand Prix, but it, it was a perfect progression. I don't know. Eliza Sindor is, um, she's my shout out. She set the schedule and I was literally like, wow, Eliza, you're making me look really good because on the ride (laughs) over between the two, we, we had this conversation of like, what do you look in it for a young horse? Like, what do you feel like are traits? And then he handed us the handout and it was like, it was, it was a perfect (laughs) progression of the day. Right. And so his big thing was talking about what you want in a dressage horse. Like, what do you want? And he, it, it's, you know, the kids are, he asked, you know, them for their feedback and they're like an active hind leg, you know, a good mind, a supple. And he really was like, that's not enough. Like there are so many components. Um, but what, what I got out of it was he wants a horse, like he says, like a supple, easy to sit back. And he's like, you know, if you have a good seat, you might not need the easiest to sit horse, but that's what he looks for. You know, he wants a horse that, that goes with small aids, but it, but isn't too hot, you know, that you can put the leg on. And he had Sarah and Boitano out there and he basically was showing us through the movements in the Grand Prix test, these qualities within this horse. And his, in his comment was, he is one of the perfect horses. He's happy. He's self-going. He collects, he extends, he's supple. And it was really great because like I said, he, like, he was so prepared. He had him, his stuff like ready to go. And because he was so streamlined, like Olivia, I felt like it was beautiful because we just watched her like naturally work with the horses with Scott. He had this like plan and he showed us like exactly what he was looking for in a horse. Um, and they gosh are just lovely to see and to be around like such a breath of fresh air to watch those two work together. He was just so gracious with his time. And Sarah is a beautiful rider and Boitano is exactly what he's saying. A happy horse that's supple and soft and works hard and all those things. So, and again, his, you know, his comment, if he were to give his 20 year old self, like a piece of advice, it would be to take time take his time and develop the horses. Cause when you're young, you're in a hurry and you think that you've got to push to get to where you need to go. And I think that's why dressage masters are so good at what they do because they've done it a million times and realize that things take time and it's actually faster if you slow down. So um, that was our first day. And then at the, after all that, and we were exhausted. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Come on. So the, like, that was the first day. <laughs> that was the first, <laughs> day. That was the first morning. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. No, well, that was guys. the, oh, oh, oh no. And then Jane Cleveland <laughs> came. No, we, I'm not done. This is like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, oh, I, buckle up. The, I'm legitimately like, I, I, I. I feel like I had to take today to like recover from my week. Um, oh, so, I guarantee but, it. 
It was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, Jane Cleveland, who owns Poinciana Farm, she took us around the farm and explained like how she designed it and why she designed it that way and showed us like, you know, the hay room and the, the, the feed room and um, talked to us about how long it took her to build the farm and develop the farm and how she has young horses and um, in the back fields and talked about the footing and all of that stuff. And then at the end, we got to watch her. She has a three-year-old stallion that was really fun. We got to watch her ride her three-year-old stallion. So that was kind of a little bonus that we didn't expect to have for the day. So we stayed for that and then came home. And then Beth Baumart, the president of the Dressage Foundation, hosted us for dinner at her and her daughter Jennifer's house. Um, with Lyndon Gray and Lyndon sat around and uh, (laughs) oh yeah I mean I mean it it was it was the week uh, well I'll get to day two well Reese will help me for day two because she was there but um, (laughs) it was the week of Olympians that's what I'm going to say it was um, the girls were 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 fangirling it but I was totally fangirling this week too so we sat with Lyndon and Lyndon talked with the kids just, it was a lot more casual. You know, we, we sat down and they were telling stories and Lyndon told stories about, you know, her childhood. And also, you know, when she's had people work for her, how that, that relationship has been. Um, so that was a great evening. And these girls, like they got up at six thirty every morning and they were not in bed until midnight every night because they write a journal. You can find that on the Dressage Foundation's website. Every day they wrote a journal of their experiences. And I mean, they were, these kids are like top notch kids. They never complained. They were like all about it, like talking about the journals, talking. I mean, our, uh, Reese will tell you that the, the conversations in the car were like, so amazing. These kids are going to go somewhere uh, with their day. So day two was at Global. We met up with Reese in the tent. So Kelly, I was so honored to be able to join you as a day chaperone. Um, But one thing we didn't talk about at the beginning is tell us a little bit about yourself and how you and I kind of got to be chaperones and how you were the week-long chaperone. I was jealous of your job. You had had a big job, but it was did oh, thank you. Um, well, I am very involved in the youth program. I have taken kids to NAYC or festival almost every year since 2002. Um, so <laughs> it is my like, like my passion. So we've gone, I've taken kids for children's and juniors and young writers um, and also myself, I have competed at the Brentina at the juniors and did the Brentina cup. And, um, so that is where I was selected because I love the youth program and, um, it's a joy to give back to the dressage foundation. It's so true. I mean, it's, and, and it's, I would say just like any volunteerism, we really, we plug that here in the podcast because it's so vital to our sport and so important. Yep. And, I mean, I had an amazing day. So I got to join you guys in the global tent. Um, you know, yep. I, I was able, I rode my big horse for big Mike first uh, kind of early. And then I got to sit with you guys. It was during the Grand Prix of the three and four star that was going through all day. So and in yeah. the background, we have, you know, the Grand Prix going on. And then we talked to in the tent, 17 people the day I was with you guys. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was the just, day uh, of the Olympians. Yes. I, we, we met with Rebecca Hart, who was a four-time Paralympian, and she was so amazing and inspiring to talk to. And I think of all the people we talked to that day, she was like one of our favorites. And then we talked to Jennifer Williams and she, we, she really went into the business side of everything. We talked to, who else did we talk to Reese? We talked to a million people. Um, Sarah and Lee uh, Tubman. Sarah and Lee Tubman. Henry Morse. Hebert stopped by. We just, um, then we spent the afternoon at Adrian Lyles and Betsy Giuliano, her sponsor came and spoke with us and we met Christian Simonson and the girls got to hold Christian's medal and uh, Quinn and Christian had a lesson with Adrian. It was amazing. It was such a cool day. And the girls got to take selfies with Silvino, which I thought was so fun. Uh, (laughs) I love that. I did too. I thought that was, I was like, okay, highlight of the day. Um, it was so, so great. it was, it was an amazing day. And then we ended it with going to dinner with Dr. Hillary Clayton at back at our Airbnb. And she just, every time I listen to that woman talk about horses and science, it's really profound. She is such a wealth of knowledge. And the girls had amazing questions for everybody. It was yeah. Really, it was it was incredible. They were so insightful and thoughtful, and they just did an amazing job that way. I was they really, really shocked at, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, and yeah. So you tell know. us how was the rest of the week? Like you had you had the girls. You were you had Friday and Saturday. What else did you do on Friday? We started our day back at Global. We had Dennisy Rogers was being coached by Charlotte Berdahl. So we watched her coach her and she wrote her test. And then Charlotte came, talked to us a little bit about um, her in the ride. And then we followed Charlotte over to Michaela Gunterson's to watch Christina Harrison Antonell, who who has now received two Dressage Foundation grants. Um, She did the American Bread um, grant and also the Cara Lavelle grant. She rode her horse Finley, um, who's a Grand Prix horse, and then a, and then a, a Gelding, who's like an I two horse, um, and we got to watch Charlotte coach, and she was really amazing to watch them work together. They worked on you know a lot of the Grand Prix stuff, but what I thought was the best part of Charlotte was her telling us the story of how she became who she is. Um, she moved here at 19 and she was a barn manager for a long time and rode a horse and it like they, she started importing horses and, and then that, that one of the horses that she couldn't sell because it didn't pass a vet check was the horse that she ended up riding in the Olympics. So it was a really cool story about how she became the person that she is. And then after that, we went back to global and we met up with Bill um, Warren and Bill McMullen over by the national rings and they sat and judged a couple of the pre-St. George's over there and talked about the different programs that we have available through USDF with judges and the trainer, the instructor certification process and all of that stuff. And they're always super fun to talk to and great guys. And then we went to Friday Night Lights, which was so much fun. So Friday Night Lights, the, the, the freestyles, and the girls got all dressed up, and we just had such a fun time doing that. So that was day three. <laughs> and then 
Day four was a lot quieter. We got to go to um, see Janae Vaughn ride at Five Rings Farm, which is a beautiful farm owned by Christina and Zachary Vinios. Janae also has received two Dressage Foundation grants, and she was so wonderful to watch ride. She rode her horse in a snaffle with tiny little spurs and no whip, and it was soft and supple and active, and it was like a breath of fresh air. So that was really fun um, watching her. And then the afternoon, we just kind of calmed down and recapped. And then we did the jumpers on Saturday night, which was really fun for the girls. So they, they got to go to WEF and see the crazy mayhem of um, what WEF is. And then they went home. It sounds like a whirlwind week, but it sounds like also an amazing week of learning. And I think yes. it's 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 a pretty cool thing that this program exists, the you know, the Young Rider Dream program from the Dressage Foundation, and that it's not a riding program. And this is a really an educational and a uh, a learning and an awareness and a you know, it, it's helping them become better trainers and better riders and, you know, better community members um, of our horse community so that when they are developing their own programs and developing their own ideas on what they're going to do as they mature as riders, that they really have some some tools. And I think it's it's an amazing thing that you got to be part of it as the chaperone. And I hope that you're able to chaperone for them again, because I yeah. know that they've they've raised an exceptional amount of money for the, the Young Rider Dream program um, for the last year or so. Uh, Margaret Dupree and Cherry Knoll Farm, um, alongside the Dressage Foundation, have had a matching challenge. And it was a $100,000 pledge um, from Margaret Dupree. And they raised $87,000, which she matched dollar for dollar. And they raised a total of $174,468. So they just about fulfilled the entire uh, match challenge, which meant that all of those dollars are going into the Young Rider Dream program. And hopefully that will send the kids and the chaperones over to Europe um, so that we can kind of get back to where this program originally was when you guys went through it yourselves. What do you guys think about that? I think it's awesome. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's so great. And yeah. and I think I think maybe you guys should be tapped for the chaperones. What do you think about that? <laughs> I we're mean, I we're available. Do, <laughs> we'll make some I phone do calls. I think that you know the girls loved us and we were a good team, right? <laughs> I mean, I would turn it down. It was a great program. Well, Kelly, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. And how can we find you online? Well, you can look me up. Um, I have a Facebook page, Kellenbrook Farms. That's our local farm. And that's an easy way to get a hold of me. And you can also email me at birthdressage at yahoo.com. Kelly, thank you so much for being so involved in the youth community and for the helping build the pipeline of youth talent in the Pacific Northwest. We're so grateful for you and so excited that you had this experience. Thanks for sharing with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Continuing our monthly trailer series, Brad from Double D Trailers dispels some of the myths and misconceptions around trailers. Welcome to our monthly horse trailer series, brought to you by Double D Trailers. Find them online at DoubleDTrailers.com. That's double, the letter D, Trailers.com. 
Well, Glenn here, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of Horses in the Morning. One of the top requested segments we've gotten from listeners is about trailers and trailer safety. Brad Heath from Double D Trailers has agreed to help us with a five-part series on trailers. Brad is the owner of Double D Trailers with over 25 years of experience in horse trailer manufacturing and the equestrian industry. In part one, we spoke about the do's and don'ts of trailer hauling. In part two, we talked about trailer configurations and layouts. And you can find both of those previous ones if you haven't heard them, just go to horseradionetwork.com slash trailer, and you can listen directly to those. Now, in part three, we're talking about trailer myths and misconceptions. Uh, and I think this is a fun one, and I did ask for some listener input on this, Brad. So uh, these, these are some questions from the listeners or some things that, that I think are very common that we have to, we either have to say, is it a myth or not? All right? Yeah. Go, uh, good to see you, Glenn. Go easy on me. <laughs> One of the things that always comes up, is it safe to tie your horse to the outside of your trailer, to the little D-ring? Wow. Uh, that's one of those questions that really doesn't have a yes or a no. Uh, here's my opinion on this subject. There's really not a safe place on the trailer to tie a horse. You know, the first thing that happens, we custom build these beautiful works of art that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And clients are so meticulous over their new piece of equipment. They don't want any scratches on it. And then the first thing we'll do is we'll go tie a horse to the side of it. And, you know, he just rakes his teeth across the paint or he paws it or there's a dent right out of the gate. But, you know, I've seen horses uh, cut their legs on the lower portion of the trailer. They can get in between the tires and the fender wells and uh, things of that nature. So my preference would be to not tie a horse to the exterior of the trailer, at least not on the tie loop itself. Um, And I always, when we're positioning tie loops, you know, we try to get those away from the back door so that latches are not a factor what I like better than anything that I've seen are these products called high ties or tie rights. I think there's a few on the market. We don't make those, but we do install them. And it, it's basically uh, a rod that sticks out away from the trailer, approximately three or four feet. The horse is secured from overhead. So there's no line hanging down for them to get tangled up in. And they can graze from it, um, and it just keeps them off the trailer. So I think it's much safer for the horse, safer for the trailer, uh, probably safer for handler too, because you, you know you just don't have that horse right up against the side of the trailer. The next one on the list is transport. This is very appropriate because the day we're recording this, we're getting like tornadoes all over the South and hundred mile an hour winds in Florida and. Uh, and I've seen a number of reports today of uh, especially RVs blowing over and, you know, all of that kind of stuff coming in right now. And this was a question that a, several listeners had is, how do you determine if it's safe to transport your horses in bad weather? Uh, and they used heat, wind. I mean, you, wind was the big one today, but heat's also a consideration. So how do you know? Sure. Um, I think, you know, the the answer regarding heat comes down to the trailer itself. If it's an insulated trailer, then that's going to help tremendously. And obviously with, uh, with good ventilation while you're traveling, roof vents, fans, things of that nature. We have client testimonials frequently that come back to us that say, hey, I hauled my horse from you know, Southern California over to Texas. The temps were 100 plus degrees. 
they arrived, uh, the horse wasn't sweaty or anything like that. So minimal stress, but it's a 100% insulated trailer. Uh, I did a video years ago and still on our site of a mill finish roof. And mill is sort of the natural shiny color of aluminum. It's unpainted. And this particular trailer did not have an insulated roof. And uh, we we took a temperature gun and walked inside and just held it up in the ceiling. And I think it got to 138 or 148. Oh, fried egg time. <laughs> oh, man. It, it was so, you, could not, you couldn't hold your hand on it. It was so hot. We kept the camera rolling, walked out of that one, walked over to the next trailer, stuck the thermostat up. And, you know, it's like maybe 105 or something like that. So it was a significant difference. So the key to hauling in extreme temperatures, particularly heat, um, obviously, just make sure you have good ventilation and insulation, more importantly. The cold aspect, you know, if you're hauling in a stock trailer, I'd prefer to see those sides closed in with some plexiglass or something. And, of course, you can use a, a horse blanket if needed uh, during the colder environments. Wind, that's a great question. You know, I had someone ask, or maybe it was in uh, the questions that came up of a formula that could be used. That's what they were asking, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be nice. I'm not aware of one. Probably some mathematician that's a lot smarter than I am may have something. I did see something uh, regarding the square root of 195 times the weight of something, (laughs) you know, could determine how much wind it takes to move an object. And I think to blow a human, it was around 90 miles an hour from what I saw. But... You know, it, it, it has a lot to do with the trailer, the tow vehicle, the size of the rig, the weight of the rig. And which way the wind is blowing. Which way the wind is blowing is a crosswind component. Um, when you look at RVs, you know, RVs sit up much higher off the ground than horse trailers do. And they're much boxier. Yeah. 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 The entire box is built, you know, over the top of the axle. And then, you know, it's all up, I don't know, 13 feet tall or something. They're, they're really tall. So you have a, a top heavy load. And it's almost like uh, if you can imagine the wind blowing a pine tree that's 20 feet tall versus a pine tree that's 50 feet tall, the 50 foot tall pine is going to sway a whole lot more. Uh, to the point that it can actually snap and break over. So uh, keeping a horse trailer with a low center of gravity definitely helps with uh, the wind blowing you all over the road. But, you know, if if you're hauling with a short wheelbase SUV, perhaps a Tahoe or an Explorer or something like that, and you have a two-horse bumper pull that's fully loaded, um, a short base SUV is the, the tail end of that thing is going to get more squirrely quicker than what a long base would be, or perhaps a three quarter ton truck or something along those lines. So I, I would say, um, and that's something that we can pose a question to for some more listeners. I'd like to get additional feedback on that just for client's input to say, hey, this is what I have experienced. So maybe we can plug that on a well, later show. And we always had a rule, uh, kind of a, it's just a common sense thing. When when it starts to feel squirrely and you're getting uncomfortable, then it's probably time. <laughs> That's correct. Yep. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable driving it, don't do it. When you start getting nervous because the wind's blowing and your trailer's blowing and, you know, 
it's one thing when a truck goes by and you know you're you're doing a little. And we've discussed that in part one, uh, right. but when it starts to get to, that the wind's causing a problem, then probably is best to pull over because you're it's indicating that there might be a problem. So that's right. Yeah. Um, so this is a good one too. Aluminum is the best material to use for a horse trailer, hands down. Nothing else is allowed. Oh man, folks are going to start throwing rocks at me, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back uh, back in in the day of whenever horse trailers were constructed, maybe I don't know. We've got a history of trailers. I think the first one was forties or fifties, but um, up until late seventies, early eighties, our choices of materials and technologies were limited. Well, they were steel and, and wood. Yeah, yeah, it's steel and wood. That's about it. Yeah. And then, of course, the primers and paints and sealants you know, were not nearly what we have today from a chemical durability perspective and you know back in the 80s when uh, and i think featherlight was one of perhaps the first companies to begin using that rodney culp and his dad they started featherlight i've met rodney super cool guy and it was a great solution because suddenly you had something that was lightweight it didn't rust it looked great and then, two, I think there was the the stigma of the pricing difference. Aluminum was much more expensive than what the steel was back at, during that time period. And so if it costs more, it must be better. And from there, you just had so many manufacturers that continued to, you know, what, what Peter does, Paul does. So if I see this guy do it and it's working for him, I'm going to do it myself. And so they just continued down that same path of rather than innovating and trying to improve as sort of doing, you know, what's, what's been working or kind of what we've always done. Um, in manufacturing, when we started, you know, I always felt that a steel frame was certainly the safest way to go uh, based on some properties of aluminum. And at some point, after we've been building 10 or 15 years, you know, we we started thinking, hey, maybe we need to do the same thing that everybody else is doing and start building aluminum trailers because a lot of folks want those. Right. And we did. Uh, I, we went through the whole process. It was a big deal to upset to um, construct the factory to be able to have the, all t- the tooling and the dies and things. And, you know, we learned so much. I only built just a handful of those things. And I'm like, I'm not going to continue to put my name on that. You know, aluminum is a very malleable material, and in order to get it where it's strong, it has to be thicker. And then from that perspective, it's not very forgiving, whereas steel will flex, 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 and then it'll bend. Aluminum may not flex quite so much, and then once it fatigues, it's just going to crack or splinter or break. Uh, The other properties of aluminum that make it not necessarily the best choice of material for constructing a horse trailer particularly in the roof and in the floor. You know, it's like the video that I mentioned earlier the, of the heat absorption. Man, the aluminum's great for solar panels and pots and pans and cookware, but we're not looking to bake the horse. So that's not the smartest material to stretch in the roof. But why do, why do manufacturers keep doing it? Well, it's because they can buy rolls of aluminum. It looks like tin foil at the grocery store, except it's much, it's the width of your trailer. It's on a huge coil. A guy grabs it, pulls it from one end to the other. There's the whole roof of the trailer secured around the perimeter. And, you know, there's your top with the flooring. Same thing. 
uh, aluminum transfers probably more heat, noise, and vibration back to horses' feet and legs than any other material that I can think of that you would put in a trailer, you know, compared to a wood floor or there's all sorts of, you know, uh, other applications out there. So, um, yeah, I would just encourage folks to, you know, sort of take a step back and think if you are going with an all aluminum trailer, make sure at least that the roof is insulated um, and the flooring. Uh, short story, I traded for a trailer many years ago and it was sight unseen other than photos that the client sent to us. So we delivered the new one, pick up the old one, bring it back to the shop go inside to clean the thing out, pull the mats back. And I could see daylight through the, I could see the ground through the floor and it had that extruded aluminum floor. And I was like, Oh man. And there's no way you can fix that. Cause it, it was the actual the structure and you know, everything. And it was rusting out. And so a huge misconception is, Oh, I have an aluminum floor. It's not going to rust. It'll last forever. I don't have to do anything to it, but. Unfortunately, horse urine and aluminum over time, they don't mix so well. So if you do have a trailer with an aluminum floor, just make sure you pull those mats out, hose the thing down well, you know, get all the, the dirt and debris and urine off of it, allow the floor to dry, and then pull those mats back in. So that's going to be key to maintaining that particular style of floor. I still don't think we can do anything to get away from the, you know, the heat. Uh, and the noise and vibration factor. But I wanted to end on this one. All trailers are safe for all types of horses. So I, no matter what my trailer is, I can put any horse in it. Obviously, we talked about height before. You know, we talked about configurations and size. Are there any other considerations that... Yeah, well, I, I think that anyone can make the argument of all trailers are not safe. Every single trailer that's on the market isn't a safe... Uh, safely laid out or designed trailer. For example, we've talked about the conventional style rear tack and the hazards associated with it. Even open stock side trailers, I've had horses get a leg through and you know, that's another nightmare or button chest bars with the horse having a leg over and you not being able to remove the pin to get the horse back over because of the pressure on it. Uh, and there are solutions to all of those. So, you know, you just want to make sure that whatever trailer that you're using at least has the design function, even if we're not talking about the material, the floor, the structure, the roof, things like that. But the layout itself should be safe for horse and handler. You know, if you're hauling a, a 17 plus warm blood with a foal, uh, that's going to have a different need than what um, maybe a you know, 14, 15 hand quarter horse would. And foals in particular, you have to make sure that the dividers are close enough to the sidewall, close enough to the floor, and then even the bars on top of the divider, that those are close enough that you know, a foal can't get a leg through on that. So, yeah, it, it really depends upon the application, um, the use of the trailer, and uh, there's a lot of variables to look at versus just saying, yeah, yeah, sure, you can probably go get any trailer, throw your horse in it, hauling from point A to point B, and more than likely they're going to be there when you get there. But, you know, I, I always tell folks, I've had people over the years say, well, I've been hauling for a lot, lot years and I've never had any problem. And I said, well, you've never had a problem until you have one. Right. Yeah. 
That's true. I've never been in an automobile. People say that about everything until they have it. I'll be 50 next year, but, you know, I've never had one. Does it mean that I'm a safe driver or anything like that? It just means it hasn't happened yet, right? So you have to be prepared. All right. You can find Double D Trailers at DoubleDTrailers.com if you want to go take a look. And you have a podcast. Give a plug for that. Yeah, we do. Uh, we're having a lot of a uh, lot of fun with the podcast. That is the Double D Trailers podcast. So just look us up. Very good. And uh, you can custom order trailers. You can take a look at all the different options. Our website's very good. Uh, and if you missed the first two parts we've been talking about, it's horseradionetwork.com slash trailer. You can find them there. And then you can find uh, Brad over there at DoubleDTrailers.com. <laughs> Well, our next interviewee that we welcome to the show for the very first time is someone who is dabbling on both sides of two international equestrian disciplines, a Grand Prix dressage rider and a very accomplished eventer. Ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming Ms. Robin Fisher to the Dressage Radio Show. Welcome, Robin. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show, Robin. Um, I just got to see you competing at the CDI in Thermal, um, where you were competing on your Grand Prix horse, Kingston, right? Yes. Yes, I was. Tell me about Kingston and your journey on the dressage side of your life uh, so that we can get to know you and uh, a little bit about your dressage horse. Okay. Well, I will start with Kingston, and he is a 2000... Seven Hanoverian geldings that I acquired in July of 2020. And I had decided at that point of my career that I wanted to explore more of the dressage aspect of riding and competing because I've always just been so passionate about the horses and learning and trying to be better. I was at a crossroads in my eventing career. So I wanted to get myself a horse that could teach me the movements and the feel that I was going to need to be able to do the dressage. A year before purchasing Kingston, I had reached out to Jessica Umansky uh, with exclusive dressage imports. And she had posted a horse that I fell in love with, but was completely out of my budget. And so she kept an eye out for probably about a year. And then I get a phone call saying that she thinks she found my horse. And she says she hasn't seen it yet, but it was coming to her and it didn't have the greatest of histories, but it could be something interesting because I was on such a small budget. And she showed me the videos of of Kingston. He had been for sale for already close to seven months. And I went down, totally not interested in him because he was a chestnut, 13 years old, And I just wasn't sure if I wanted to, you know, go that route. I've never been truly fond of chestnuts, if I'm being totally honest. Oh, who doesn't love a redhead? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you, I've bought three more since purchasing Kingston because of him being a a slippery slope. (laughs) Yeah. It is a slippery slope. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I went down to her place and, he says, Robin, his his vetting is going to be terrible. Um, he has an old stress fracture in a fetlock. Um, he's got some problems in his lower back and his hind legs. And so I go, okay. And I'm still I'm still curious because the price point is correct for what he is trained to do. And I get on him 
cold. I didn't want anyone to try them first. I wanted to feel them fresh out of the stall. And uh, I remember thinking and saying to Jessica, I was like, wow, does he always start off on the left hind? And she goes, Robin, we've only had him a few days, but he worked out of it. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. And I remember going around the arena and there was one end of it. I couldn't get him by it. They had were growing hedges and sprinklers and he just is such a spooky, suspicious horse that he was like, I want nothing to do with it. And I was still okay with that. I think because my eventing background, I mean, we have horses that won't go into water, so we know how to deal with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> horses that are a little suspicious of things, but he gave me such an incredible feel. And I, I knew this horse was going to be able to teach me a lot. I bought him with the intention of only riding for the experience. I had no intention of ever competing him um, just because his history in competitions was not solid. It was not good. And I just wasn't sure if it was going to be fair to him based on all the history I'd been given. But once I got him home, it was... Uh, it was a little bit more work than I thought it was going to be. He was uh, afraid of the food cart. He was afraid of sprinklers, the tractors, anything with a motor, loud noises. He was horrified. So we spent a lot of time just kind of getting him to trust me in those situations where he was uncomfortable. And then I started to go on little field trips with him. And he actually, it was so sad. I like, I cried one time. I was hauling him to a lesson and I thought that he fell down in the trailer because there was so much commotion going on. Wow. And I pulled over and I went and checked on him and he was just sweating and hyperventilating. And it, it looked like I had just finished a five-star cross country. And I then decided I needed to work on that to let him know that he was safe in the trailer. So uh, one of the girls that worked for me we would put him in the trailer and she would be in the back with a bucket of cookies and we would go to Starbucks, stop, give him cookies and then drive home. And we did that multiple times a week until he started to relax in the trailer. So I now that. I can haul him anywhere. Yeah, that's a yeah. great tip. That's a great I mean, tip. Seriously, seriously. I, I love the positive reinforcement and setting them up for success. That's brilliant. Yeah, I just... This horse just had so much trauma. I'm like, I have to make his life good. And now after that, we figured out also that he has pretty severe ring bone. And so oh, I yeah. purchased him these boots. They're called soft rides. And yep. basically they're for horses that are laminitic or have hoof issues, but they absorb the shock for the joints. And I purchased him a pair. So now he goes in the trailer with his soft rides on and he can haul for hours. If I go 10 minutes without his soft rides, he'll get a little bit sweaty, but he's still comfortable. So that was, I think, something else that was contributing to him being uncomfortable in the trailers. Uh, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Just a sidebar. I think when horses have trailer issues, it drives me crazy when the owners don't take time to deal with those trailer issues because that's yeah, the thing with yeah. trailering you just need to take time if they don't load yeah you need to not do it on a day that's stressful you need to drive to starbucks Absolutely. and come back or you know yeah. we just did this with one of my young horses i didn't know how he'd load, load the trailer and i had no time pressure that afternoon and he was it took him a couple seconds but he just came from europe and never been on an american trailer so you know mm -hmm. just 
don't do it on a day you're in a rush and you got to take some exactly. time to do it. So I love that. Well, so I mean, a great I think tip that's anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's anything Agreed. with horses though. You could never do anything in a hurry. Agreed. You have Robin, to give them the time. It's so true. And, and kind of uh, along the similar line, um, you know, I could also coach a lot of eventers and sometimes mm-hmm. I have girls that will come and they do a year working at a dressage barn. So can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what dressage has done for the eventing part of your career and your judging part of the career, et cetera? Absolutely. So one of the most significant, um, I'm going to say changes has been the learning of the biomechanics of how a horse actually moves and what dressage means. And as an eventer, I thought that I understood it. I had great horses. I was very successful, but it really only was once I started to train with Sandy Phillips that I started to understand that these horses shouldn't have tongue problems. They shouldn't have anxiety problems. They shouldn't have all these issues that have manifested if the horse is properly worked from back to front, if the horse is truly in balance, if the biomechanics are working correctly. And I'm still learning it. I'm 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 still learning all of this <laughs> stuff. And and I don't think that, you know, with horses and training, whatever discipline you're doing, you never stop learning. And every horse will bring something new to the table. So having been riding Kingston, I call him PK, so I might interchangeably go back and forth, but um <laughs> he he's so good when I'm putting him in that correct balance and I've figured it out at home. It's hard to replicate at the horse show because I am dealing with the other issues, (laughs) stress, environment, the atmosphere, whatever other trigger points he might have. But if I fall back on just the putting him in a right balance, I'm relatively okay. Unless I get excited in my change. I, I wish that I had learned this balancing of and the biomechanics when I was still eventing because I think I would have had a lot more horses stay sounder and mm. be happier uh, in their career. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting now because it's not about putting a bigger bit on the horse galloping down to a fence. It's you have to put the horse in balance while it's still traveling forward. And shockingly now having not galloped down to a fence, at top speed, I'm able to see distances better now at homeschooling than I did before because I'm putting the horse in a better balance. Really good perspective. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. So if I can imprint onto the eventing riders at all, please, please, please take the time to really learn and be passionate and, you know, understand the biomechanics of, of a horse's body. They don't do all these bad things because they're being bad. It's because they're trying to tell us what we're doing is wrong. Very insightful. You know, um, one of the things, Robin, that I, I find most impressive about you is um, we've we've been interacting over, I feel like, the last few years. Um, but yeah. um, as, as you've been on your journey um, to become a, an even more credentialed eventing judge, and I think that it's such a neat experience to see someone that is so incredibly successful on the dressage side, which is our, our sphere, and then mm-hmm. someone that is equally as top class on another sphere within the same sport. 
um, of eventing. So tell everybody about um, what your what your new credential is um, in the eventing world and uh, and what you're hoping to do with it. Oh well, I'm very excited about this. So I started to do the judges program over a decade ago, and it was a slippery slope for me. I mean, as soon as I did the first program, I got hooked on judging because I was learning so much about dressage and balance. So most recently, I've gone through the national level of having my S eventing license, which allows me to come to judge through the advanced level. But I've just recently been promoted with the FEI to level three, which will allow me to be on ground juries for four star and above. The next promotion would then be to level four, which would allow me to be the head of the ground jury at championships and five stars. So I'm hoping to be two to three years away from judging at a big five star. And like maybe, maybe like the Olympics someday. (laughs) Well, I, I would love that. Um, I, I know I'm sure there's a lot of other judges out there that would say the same thing, but you know, I have a small stint of hope that maybe LA 2028, because there's only 10 of us in the country that have the status of level that three. Is, yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. And if I play my cards right and, you know, do the right homework, I can do my, get my promotion and be put my name in the hat for LA. Really awesome. You know, I, I, I love that you're able to bring so much perspective as a dressage rider and also as an eventing judge and an experienced eventer yourself. But um, I I think that um, you look at things with such perspective and I I love how you articulated your thoughts about your training, uh, your horse and and, uh, really being reactive and responsive and, um, and formulating a plan for how to make things a successful situation for your horse, especially like what you were talking about with your trailering. That that's, I think that's, what makes uh, someone a really great equestrian. So thank you for sharing that with us. We would love to spend so much more time getting to know you, but time is so limited. Um, Robin, (laughs) if if our guests want to connect with you and learn more about your journey and and find more about you, um, how can they reach out to you? Absolutely. So uh, they could definitely go to my website, which is my name, Robin Fisher, R-O-B-Y-N-F-I-S-H-E-R, llc.com or they could reach out to me on Instagram and my Instagram is Robin Fisher my name underscore r underscore farms and they me on uh, direct message that way thank you so much we loved having you on the show and uh, I hope that we get to see your name on the officiating yes. list at the at the LA 2028 games dream big my friend we're calling you oh, back. I'm, I'm dreaming big. <laughs> I'm dreaming big. I, I plan on going to Western Dressage when I'm done with Dressage. <laughs> Love it. Oh, Love my gosh. That. Oh, that's so cool, Robin. Maybe Thanks some so much. Raining. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. As horse owners, we spend a lot of time on the road. Let U.S. Rider help keep you covered. Our Equestrian Motor Plan offers fast, reliable, nationwide service from our highly trained roadside assistance team. coverage for both you and your horse. Membership includes horse trailer servicing, towing, flat tire repair, even on dual wheels, battery assistance, and lockout service on any vehicle in your plan. We also have your equine companions covered with referrals for emergency vet services, barrier referrals, 
and emergency stabling assistance. Get peace of mind on the road for you and your horse. Join U.S. Rider today. I am so excited to introduce our next guest to the Dressage Radio Show. Join me as we welcome our next power duo to the show. Uh, this time, they are dressage show organizers, and not just dressage shows. They do dressage, western dressage, and much, much more. Join me in welcoming Andrea Davenport Emil and her husband, Matt Emil, to the show. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, guys. Hello. Welcome. welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, Andrea and Matt, you guys are so awesome, and we get to see you guys a lot this season uh, because you are currently <laughs> based down in Wellington. Andrea, tell us about yourself and how you got yourself into the show office this year down in Wellington. Oh gosh, I mean, I think it was like a, a journey, a journey for the ages to get this far. I think you're mostly to do with that. Thank you for your help. Um, but we've been putting on shows for the last several four years and we have worked our way up to organizing bigger and bigger events and now i was lucky enough to be um added to the um office staff uh for for this year's shows it's global thank you thank you for family for having us <laughs> they've had matt too so yeah i've also been lucky enough to be a part of the shows and i'm super excited and can't wait to finish the season there yeah one of the coolest things I think for you guys um, is that you guys get to work a lot of these events together. And it's a it's a really interesting thing because there's not very many people in our sport that get to be with their significant other as they go from state to state or country to country working at all of these events. I know a lot of times it can be a lonely experience when you're on the road. And uh, and I know a lot of the officials that we come across, um, they're you know calling home to loved ones in the evening and whatnot. But you guys get to do this together. What's it like, Matt, working with your spouse in the in the office, and and especially when, especially when she's in charge and 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 you're taking orders? What's that like? Well, yeah, so it, so it really depends on the position in which we are in. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna say. It. Keep going, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, what a Valentine's Day intro here, Noah. Like, killing it. Oh, <laughs> easy, Matt. You're sitting real close to her. <laughs> they're gonna pull us from the radio we just started talking. oh gosh all right wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> um, so so this past weekend was a great example of this so i was stewarding on the cdi side and andrea was in the office and in that dynamic you know we're we're interacting in a very particular way right because i'm, I'm trying to be as neutral as possible andrea's trying to advocate for everybody trying to make sure that everything is in line and for the paperwork, for the CDI, for the national show. And when that happens, you know, we're both looking at things from a very different perspective. Um, now, in our own shows, this, this is quite different because we work very close together. We live together. We interact all the time together. And at our own shows, this is really important because we have a vested interest in this, right? And we are very much trying to make sure that everything is perfect and we don't always have the same idea of how it's going to be perfect. Hey, Matt is very nicely trying to say we work separately, <laughs> but also together. <laughs> so, like, it's in, it's, yeah, like one of us is usually inside and the other is usually outside. And, and sometimes those roles swap and that's kind of how we maintain 
our uh, marriage without without finding each very, other. And, I think this is very smart. I I, yeah. I love it. Like I, yeah. speaking from someone who also we do I not work with my husband, but we are in the same vicinity, which is usually around 800 square feet. So sometimes it gets a little hairy, and I go to the barn, and that's a better yeah. thing. <laughs> so right, yeah. So, Andrew, I'm going to let you start telling your story. Uh, tell us about yourself and how you got started in horses. So I um, have been riding since I was a kid, like like pretty much from the time I could walk. My parents like let me ride horses, and but they weren't horse people. So I started at the local riding school and then graduated from there and went to, uh, like off to college and got my own horses and was competing and, you know, just doing the normal co- collegiate horse girl things of like whatever horse you could find to ride that was sort of sound and sort of broke that was what you rode until I got my own horses that were you know more um I guess palatable for the for the for the uh the industry <laughs> and um yeah I mean and so I just that kind of just evolved into well, I really really enjoy the horse shows and we should maybe try doing this ourselves and I had always wanted to put on horse shows but you know the, the guidance counselors and in you know middle school and high school didn't know like what is involved with putting on a horse show i mean if you ask most people they don't know what's involved with putting on a horse show so you know i kind of went in a roundabout way of i'm not good at medicine i'm not good at this but i know a lot about horses and i know a lot about horse shows so now it's evolved into oh this is what we do for a living <laughs> that's so, so cool. here and here we are i love it and All matt right, how did you get started <laughs> yeah matt has to tell us <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's Europe. Well, my first encounter with the horse, believe it or not, was a rocking horse. <laughs> we still have the rocking horse. <laughs> We're going to give it to our kids. <laughs> More seriously, though, um, Andrea and I, we went on our first date, and she told me that she wanted to put on horse shows. Like most people, I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, on our second date, we went on a, on a ride together. She took me on a ride and kind of fell in love with horses in that moment. Fell in love with my future wife at that moment as well. Aww. And so Aww. whenever we moved to Mississippi, which is where we really, you know, became a family together, she told me that she really wanted to put on horse shows. And we had been riding. We had bought a farm and had horses. And she said, you know, I'm really tired of working this job. She's been working a nine-to-five job. She said, I'm going to start putting on horses. I said, okay, that sounds great. It didn't, it, that's not what he said, but we'll go on. <laughs> <laughs> and, around that way, and so we did one show, and then we did another, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> we're doing this for a living somehow. And all the while, we had, we had three horses at home, and we had gotten... Um, an off-track thoroughbred, we had gotten an Oldenburg, um, and then we had gotten a Tricaner. And all three of those we had at home, full care ourselves, like fully doing the the horse farm lifestyle. And it was a lot of work, (laughs) but it was a ton of fun. Very, very rewarding. Yeah. And we were fox hunting at that time. We weren't, we weren't in like super in dressage. We, and I, at that time was still like, I want to put on horse shows, even though we're fox hunting. That's not really, you know, it doesn't overlap in an industry, but we gradually just moved over to putting on shows and just kept doing it. And, and it's grown to the point it is now. 
And you you guys have come a really long way. Um, tell us about Flightline and uh, tell us about, I want to know, uh, tell us about how you guys got to that name. Tell us about your business. Oh, yeah. Well, so so um, most people uh, don't know how you, like, the process of even becoming a, a show organizer, but you have to learn like every single part of, of the job. And so at the time I was working towards my technical delegates license and I was apprenticing under Joe Coleman, you know, one of our esteemed PDs in our country. And I had been going to shows and he's a manager too. And he'd been teaching me the ropes of here's what you got to do. So we had been following Joe all over the Eastern seaboard, like learning how to do shows. And I said to Joe, I said, well, all right, like I want to do my own show. What do I have to do? What, like, what is next? And he goes, you know, kid, you got to just fly solo. So my very first show that I ever licensed with USDF was my solo flight dressage show. And oh that show was scheduled to be June of 2020. And then oh. COVID broke out. <laughs> and so <laughs> USDF is like, ha ha. Crash, crash landing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. This is not, this is not how this is going to go. And thank goodness it, that was the case because that, and Matt, Matt is going, Oh my God, thank goodness that is the case because the first show that I licensed was a two-ring, two-show weekend, and it was at a place where there were no other shows. I mean, this was just a recipe for disaster. So I was just, <laughs> like, signing up for, like, a, a organizer nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. But in that process, since the, the one got canceled, we said, okay, well, so this one got canceled. We're going to have to put on some backup shows after this. And so we had the solo fight, so we said, well, we can't name it that, so we're going to name it something else and the next city we put on a show in was called phoenix city um like that's like the the colloquial name of the town so it's chattanooga tennessee so we named that one the phoenix flight instead of the solo flight and so now all of our shows have some sort of flight name that is associated with the area that it's in so we have the mountaineer flight the coastal flight and so it just yeah we have a bayou show and then the delta flight so it just kind of keeps it to whatever area we're in and helps us keep them organized. I love that. I I love when there's a story behind a name and, uh, and I actually, I didn't know the whole story. I've heard parts of that before, but uh, I, that's a very cool story. <laughs> Andrea, this, this started out as uh, as a pretty, uh, pretty cool dream. Tell us about your dream of becoming a top level organizer in the United States. Yeah. So um, I had wanted to, to just, I, I just would watch all these horror shows and my parents, when I was a kid, <laughs> again, my parents are wonderful. They, they put up with lots of horsey things, but they are not by any means horse people like at all. But we lived close enough um, to the Washington international horse show that every year my sweet, sweet parents would take me to this one horse show. So of course, like that's a big show. That's a big deal. And like, so I've been dreaming of this show my whole life. And I said, I'm going to replicate this right here, this is what I want to do. I have to like do this level of show. And at that time, when I was a kid, it was put on at a giant indoor stadium. So this was the USA arena <laughs> when I, and that arena doesn't even exist anymore. And it was huge. And they would bring in the floors and bring in the stalls and it, people came wow. from all over the place. It was amazing. Like, uh, like very, it's very rare that we even do this anymore. Nonetheless, at that level, like, I mean, just, incredible and so i'm i'm sitting here as a kid going i want to do that not knowing that it takes all of this process i couldn't even imagine right now coming up with you know the time and energy and planning this years ahead but of course now i'm going i still want to do this and i want to put on the world Cup, which is <laughs> sort of like 
at the same level. <laughs> I didn't give up on that. You know, it's like, I, this is almost the same, you know, deal, but you know, and so it just evolved into um, a more dressage dream because that's a hunter jumper show for those who don't know. But, but yeah, so it's, it's evolved into now I want to do world cup. I would love to be, you know, part of an Olympic organizing committee if ever I have the opportunity, but you know, you just have to keep, keep working towards, towards these big dreams. I think dreaming big is is absolutely the name of the game in, in our sport. You know, last last show we spoke to uh, to several guests uh, that were living abroad, and uh, and they were telling us about their hopes of competing in the Olympics. And here we are that as organizers, we would love to be part of the Olympics. We just we don't have to ride in them, but we we just want to be there. We want to be part of that. So well, that's your uh, Olympics. Oh, yeah. That is it. That is your Olympics. I think that's it. Oh, I yeah. heard a speaker talk about this. Like everybody has their own Olympics, and maybe it isn't actually riding because only four people per team get to do that but there's so many other aspects there's and really and really i don't not even not even four right now it's down to three with an alternate so like come on with an alternate like you're 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 i mean that's so hard but there's so many aspects of the olympics that um which is so cool to hear because i don't know that much about show organizing obviously i ride over shows and i'm part of it but with with you guys i'm learning like what that means and what it what happens and it is incredibly difficult so there, there was a moment when I got to go to World Cup um, that was in Omaha um, in April. And, and there was a moment because we were taking a course for the FBI um, stewards. We were both FBI stewards. And we were, were walking through the uh, backside of the stadium and we happened to look out a window. And they had a like a, a hay-type trailer with all the arenas like set up on the hay trailer. And I look outside and I was like, oh my gosh, look, Matt look, they have to bring them in like this on this cart. And he's like, no, no, no. I said, they're all the jumps. Like, they're right there. And, he, and that was like almost as cool as seeing like the big horses. <laughs> it's like, oh, look, well, yeah. there are the jumps and they have to put like put them on this rail system and they come in and you, you they pull them down. And like, only a, a show organizer would get hyped up about something oh, yeah. like that. It was, it was like going yeah. behind the scenes at Disney World. I was there. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you guys are so like, It's so interesting because there's so many things that from behind the scenes that people don't see and like they're not supposed to see right but as show organizers we're like okay well how do they actually turn this stadium yeah it's not made for horses into a place that can not only host a horse show but like the horse show right and being able to do it in a way that is turned around super fast so that you can go from jumpers to dressage and back to jumpers within one night it's it's incredible yeah yeah it's crazy it's crazy we get we get totally hyped up about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I'm right there with you guys. I thought the same thing as I was walking through the tunnel down below. I was like, "This is so cool." <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a video of us walking through the underneath mm-hmm. part with like the sound equipment and the lighting equipment, not the horses or the barn, but the, but these like this like oh look they have a they've got a, a thirty ox cable running running like from here to there and it's powering this whole thing. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Andrea, as a as an organizer, you've you've done a lot of hard work to get where you are. Um, you're the first black FPI level organizer in our country. You are a level five uh, USCF show manager and level five show secretary. You're a USCF technical delegate. You're an FEI dressage steward, an FEI para dressage steward. 
you you have really risen, and I think that is quite a journey. Tell us what it's like oh. to be the the top black organizer in the country, and and what what was that like for you? Oh, I mean, it was it's definitely daunting because you're coming in, and I think I had really a, a double whammy because I was young and unknown at the time when I started, and on top of that, I was different, you know, so it it was very hard to make people feel comfortable with not only me being there, but also having bigger roles within the sport. Um, so I think, I think it, it was, it was something that needed to be done, but it also was really, really hard. And sometimes people don't realize that, that a situation is hard. So they think, Oh, well, this young person is just being a pain. I'm like, well, you don't see that, that this is, this is extra hard for me. It's hard for anybody, absolutely hard for anybody, but it is extra hard for me because I stand out, especially doing um, some of the technical delegate work because it's, it's a um, tumultuous job in, in itself. Like it's not something that people don't go, come to the show going, Oh man, I love the TV. They come to the show going, Oh no, the TV is coming. Oh God. And so like, <laughs> for me, it's like, you know, it even, I stand out even more, more so. And they don't forget me because I don't blend in. And so like even the, the smallest transactions like turn into, Oh, it was that lady. So, you know, I mean, it, it really um, was, was hard. And like, I really enjoy the management side because I can have more positive experiences with the competitors. Um, but I do think because I was a technical delegate first, that really um, set a precedent for how hard I was willing to work. And so it did open more doors for me. Yeah. And that does go into the technical delegate is not there to be scary. The technical, we, we right, say this right. every time we talk about TDs, it's like TDs are actually there to be your advocate and the horse's advocate. Yeah, so yeah. don't be scared when you see the TD, like get to know them and ask them questions. They'll be, they can, they yeah. can really help you out. So we always try to say right. that it's like TDs are not scary. They're not meant to be scary. Yeah. They're not meant to be the police. They're just meant to there to educate and help. So, yeah. Well, Matt, I yeah. have to ask you, because I was just going to ask Matt real quick. Matt, you're actually a, a PhD? You're Dr. Matt? Well, that's what I, they tell me. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, so I have a PhD in American history with a specialization in environmental history. I taught at Mississippi State for several years. And yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I'm happy to answer any questions regarding <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually like history. Like that—that's fantastic. You're ridiculous. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so, so that's why you say that because usually when I and I literally told someone this tonight because they were talking about history and they were saying, "Oh, well, do you have any experience with blah blah blah?" And I said, "Oh, well, actually, <laughs> I don't. I'm not trying to brag, but I do have a PhD in American history." And they're like, oh, "Okay, well, I really hate history." I'm like, well. <gasps> That's not Whoa! Expected, Easy. But okay. History's great. <laughs> but yeah, so whenever we were living in Mississippi, that's why we were there because I was teaching at Mississippi State and had a great time. I really, really enjoyed teaching. I, I, and I still really do. <laughs> but I really also love working with my wife and being able to build this business that we have with Flightline. And it just allows us to travel so much. And I can always go back to the history. I can always continue to write and continue to publish but this right now it's not going anywhere it's not right right history's not going anywhere <laughs> it's always you can always write about it you can always lecture about it um conferences will still be there so i i, I um I, I i very much enjoy it and I, I try to stay up on the literature as much as possible but there's nothing like 
being in the classroom. Yeah. And Matt, you're also going through uh, one of the USCF uh, training programs right now. Aren't you, uh, aren't you in the technical delegate school right now? Yeah. So currently um, I'm a candidate, a technical delegate candidate. I just had my first apprenticeship and I'm very happy to say that went well with Beth Davidson. She's a phenomenal um, technical delegate and she was, she was a great teacher as well. So I'm hoping to be able to finish that by the end of the year, um, scheduling permitting. <laughs> very, ex- very <laughs> yeah, exciting. That's you guys... the scary one and not me. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You become the and, scary one. And Matt is very yeah. tall, so that's already very scary. So <laughs> yeah. Again, exactly. these are not scary. <laughs> well, you guys, you guys have um, a very cool business uh, with the Flightline business, but uh, you guys have a mascot that travels with you. Tell us about your mascot. Oh, you're talking about Dubious. He actually mm-hmm. has been promoted um, being our customer service representative. Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> is, oh, I love it. <laughs> she is our, our blue tick coonhound. She has a very, um, a very serious face. And she handles all of our our um, our disgruntled moments. Um, you don't have any. Of all those. she does is she howls. <laughs> right. She all she does is howl at people. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you were if you were a very um, close observer in the office at Global this past weekend, you may have seen her under the desk. Oh wow! Aww. Not everyone not notices, but those who need her. She's there. <laughs> hiding <laughs> hiding in basically hiding in plain everybody sight. at Global. Yeah, basically everybody <laughs> at Global needs a little love at the end of the weekend for sure. For yeah. sure. Yes. But she'll well, sing you get... for you if you ask her to. She will she'll howl at you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> When you guys are on the road and putting on your shows, I love seeing pictures and I love talking to you guys about it. Um, you guys do a lot of work with making your own awards, and I think it's something that's really cool. Uh, I wish I was still competing because I'd love to go to one of your shows and win one of the prizes. Tell us about your work that you guys do that's kind of above <laughs> and beyond and very unique to competition organizing. Well, okay, so our shows, we usually shows are either run by a club which has support from their uh, membership or they have big sponsors or something in which we have two wonderful sponsors we are sponsored by um, triple crown and main street market and also um, lisa seager insurance but we um we have had to be creative on how to represent like our competitors through through those awards so we started crafting up some things because you know, ribbons are really expensive. The ribbons yeah. are really expensive, people. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's listening out there. Well, and not only that, yeah. but I mean, you can get. I mean, a- every show has ribbons, right? Yeah. Every, right? Every show you go to is going to have ribbons, and they're gonna. They're all going to be unique, and they're all going to be different, right? But one thing that we really like to do is be able to have something truly unique that we can give to our competitors that they they're able to take home and not only just put on the wall, but actually be able to use as well. Yeah. So I started out of desperation to be unique, started crafting up things. And I remind all of my friends and my competitors how much I detest crafting things. But I started making <laughs> I started making things so that they would feel special because it's important for them to, to feel special and for our sponsors to be represented. So I sat down <laughs> with my crickets and I started making things and people love them. They're usually covered in a lot of glitter and a lot of my blood and sweat and tears. And- 
and if and if you know if you know me personally i hate glitter but i yeah. love how these turn out they look so cool <laughs> i would love to win one so i'm gonna I have know, to find I, a horse so i, I can I'm ride in the website right one. now yeah i can't wait to see you're gonna have to send us a picture so we can put them on, put it on for the show notes we would love that if you walk in our show office or in our home, it is covered. And my poor, <laughs> poor secretaries, sometimes I'm like, all right, we got to glitter this stuff. And they look at me with the fire of a thousand suns. Like, <laughs> because there is so much glitter. <laughs> There's so much glitter and epoxy and vinyl and just everything. <laughs> and like, <laughs> just everywhere. And yeah, and everybody gets a, um, a ribbon, but like to even like intensify the, the specialness of that award, we try to either like like some of the ribbons we put our sponsors names on in glitter of course or we like set it on a, a mug or and I, I have an idea for next year that's even more intense that my poor husband doesn't know about See, you yet. don't you yeah. don't yeah. hate this you you yeah. love this yeah. i know she this about you no. i'm like whatever this is joyous <laughs> i've ever heard it this is awesome I hate it. it's awful it takes a whole year it takes me a year to get all this stuff done I think I can't, really I, I got to see some pictures. Brilliant. <laughs> one of the one of the most important parts about all of this, I think, is that we go to the, some of these places across the country, and especially across the southeast, where they just don't have a lot of shows, and so people are able to go to these shows, and they don't they don't go to a show every weekend, right, or or, or even every month, and so they wait until October of you know every year for us to come to Arkansas. And yeah. they and they go out yeah. there and they are so excited and so like we don't we don't want to just give them some you know tiny ribbon we want to give them something really special that they really feel like they earned and like they really deserve because they because they really do yeah yeah I mean and like a lot of our a lot of our patrons are um, adult amateurs and it's like this is their this is their Wellington like coming to our our Alabama shows or whatever whichever show they get to and a lot of times we have to come to them because like there just isn't an option so they that we really try to make it like okay this is your moment let's see it I love it. That's so cool. That's fantastic, you guys. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we would love to talk to you even more, but I'm gonna get to see you guys soon enough and then and we'll get to talk face to face. Our listeners and I for sure, come too, by the way. Yeah, right. Oh, our our listeners for sure want to get in touch with you guys and learn more about your horse shows. Tell us where they can find the information. So our website is flightlineshows.com. We also have a Instagram and Facebook page. You can follow us there. You can find links to pretty much anything from our website uh, with our show calendar and all of our information. How do they reach Doobie as well? Yeah, oh, <laughs> just for service. She has her own um, link on the website with her contact information. She's there with her face. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be happy to help you. <laughs> Well, well you guys we loved having you on the show tonight um you guys have a wonderful journey in wellington uh and we hope that your dream continues uh to to grow and blossom together um in this industry it's so much fun to see you guys um so successful congratulations and uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon all right thank you great thank you guys thank you guys well, Noah, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. And don't forget to come visit us in Wellington. If you're here, let us know because we'd love to see you. Noah's going to be working and I'm going to be hanging out at the horse show. You can Noah. still come say hi. <laughs> exactly. Definitely <laughs> come just, and say hi to us. It's just it. dressage. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We love it. And keep the keep all the messages coming because we always enjoy hearing from you guys. 
As always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our page at horseradionetwork.com. Just search Dressage Radio Show. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. And my website is devinwoodec.com and you can follow me on Facebook at noah.ratner or email me at region6dir at usdf.org. We'd like to thank our friends and amazing show sponsors at Kentucky Performance Products and Double D Trailers. If you'd like to support our show and the Horse Radio Network, you can do that through the auditor program found at horseradionetwork.com. From the stable to the show ring, from the first halt to the last, dream big, everybody. (laughs) 